my teenage years and even as I've gone on, but I learned there was a moment. Uh, my wife runs children's ministry in Auckland, and she says that children that make a decision for Christ, their behavior miraculously changes. And she's seen it. She's evidenced it. So there's a moment. There's a moment in our life where, we, where salvation comes to us. But So I say there's a moment when I'm saved, but then I'm on a journey, almost 69, and I'm still being saved. And so salvation is a moment, but it's also a process. And it doesn't take you long to learn the moment you give your heart to Jesus that you haven't become perfect. Has anyone found that out? If you think you have, ask your wife or your husband because they'll tell you the truth. And probably your kids will tell you more than they will. But you don't become perfect. There's areas that you've got to change. But you can't make that process of change from the outside in. And that's why a lot of, lot of, lot of believers, I think, are living condemned because in a way they love God they love Jesus, but they can see areas in their life that they think, well, that doesn't really match up to what I think I should be. Amen? And I want to help you on that. The first scripture is found in uh, the 3 John verse 2. There's no chapters in 3 John, just uh, uh, one chapter. So if you're looking for a chapter, it's not there. Um, but verse 2 is a very powerful scripture because it gives us an understanding of how John saw the gospel affecting us. And he said, I, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. Say all things. So it's not just some things. So God wants you to prosper. That means he wants you to grow in life. Prosperity is not just getting rich. Prosperity, as you can see here, goes on prosper in all things and be in health. And then it gives the answer, just as your soul prospers. So it doesn't talk about salvation in the scripture. It's talking about the prosperity of your soul, the prosperity of your willing, your thinking, and your feeling. And that's where often all of us trip over is in, in the areas of our mind, our thinking. How many struggle with your thinking? You know, you wake up in the morning and your mind's in a turmoil. Uh, and sometimes our willing, it's almost like we want to put the handbrake and the footbrake on and say, you're not moving me. And I see that as a preacher with people. Oh, you're not going to move me today. They've got their footbrake. No willing. There's no, no submission to change. And if you've got no submission or willingness to change, you'll never change. You'll just be the same. Whereas God wants to put into our heart a willingness, and he, he, he's about our emotions also, and emotions are good. Emotions, you can feel sorry. All those emotions are good. But if your life is a roller coaster, you know, one day you're feeling high as a kite, the next day you're feeling as though you're in the pit of depression, there's something wrong, there's something out of kilt. Salvation's not meant to be like that. It's about getting you in a position where you can be joyful, you can be sorry, but you're not going like this. And God, God's about your soul. And it says, says there that it goes on, as it says, just as your soul, it talks about just as your soul prospers, so will you. So, so it's not just salvation that brings prosperity. It's the ability to let your, your spirit have influence over your soul so that then God can work on your humanity. And that's the moment we're saved, God comes into our life, but then he saves us. He saves us from the brokenness in our life. And every single person in this room has a degree of brokenness. And that's a good thing. As a pastor, preacher, I want to tell you, I've got my areas of brokenness. I can function in my gift, 
but I still have to deal with the brokenness of my humanity. Everybody's got it. And if you, you understand that, you think, wow, well, I'm not weird. I'm just like everybody else. But if you think, oh, well, the pastors have got it all together, well, you got it wrong. They haven't. But I've got a gift, and I use my gift, but I also have areas of my, my, my soul that God's got to work on. And as I let Him work on that, the greater my, my, the prosperity of my soul, it helps me in my health, it helps me in my well being, it helps me in my marriage, it helps me to relate to people, it helps me in so many different issues of life. The second scripture that I want to share is found in 1 Peter. And uh, 1 Peter, so two, two different takes. 1 Peter, so you've got John, now you've got Peter. But 1 Peter verse 23 just gives us a, a very important understanding of what takes place in this moment. This moment. When did you give your heart to the Lord, Chrissy? 13? 11? 6? So all different ages, and I think that's powerful. Never underestimate the power of child conversion. Uh, because it's important. But this is what takes place. In verse 23, it just says here, having been born again, not with a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so the moment you open your heart to Christ, and I want you to catch this today, you open your heart to Jesus, you are born again of an incorruptible seed. It's not a corruptible seed. It's an incorruptible seed. This seed has the power to change you, not just in this lifespan, but forever. Forever. Say forever. <laughs> and I believe in the forever. <laughs> when I die, I am still living forever. Amen. My body might stop, but there's forever. And we are born again of an incorruptible seed. I read some years ago of the pyramids in Egypt, 4,000 years, they, they managed to get into one of them, and they found some seed. They took the seed out, and they put it in the right environment, planted it in the soil, nurtured it with water, sunlight, and it grew. But it had been locked up in darkness for 4,000 years. But in the seed was the life. And I sometimes wonder whether some Christians are like pyramids. You've got, a, you've got an incorruptible seed. You've got a sincere belief in God, but the seed has never been nurtured. It's never been watered. And I pray I'm watering it today. So he's preaching. It's never been watered. So this incorruptible seed from the inside out can begin to change you, change your humanity. You're not going to be changed from the outside in. You'll try, but you get left disillusioned. It'll work. It's like a good year, uh, New Year's resolution. How many have tried them? I've tried to lose weight many times at the beginning of the year, <laughs> but then fish and chips come along and somehow <laughs> it ends. But, but, but it's almost like you, you can put in place a resolution, but it doesn't necessarily change you. There's certain things you can change from the outside in, but when it comes to your character, your personality, who you are, God's about changing you from the inside out. And he changes you. He never asks you to do it by yourself. He puts inside you what the Bible calls an incorruptible seed. And if you nurture that seed, that seed, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to address issues in your humanity. It's able to change you. And I'll illustrate quickly because I want to move on. I've got a lot to share and I don't have much time. But you're going to get it today because this will change your life. But uh, as you can see, I'm quite a passionate person. 
and so passionate people sometimes, I would probably say most do, have a short fuse. Any passionate people in the room? <laughs> and so short fuse means that I can go up quick and come down. And, uh, and I was known. I'm very uh, an emotional character. And uh, through our marriage, I could get angry and come down and just carry on as though nothing happened. It was just like, oh, no, that's just me. I've got a short fuse. You know, I go up, come down. And then one day, Helen said to me, I don't like your anger. I'm not angry, no. <laughs> and then, then she, she, she really hit it one day when she said, I can't take any more of your anger. Now, you've got to understand, I was pastoring a church and leading a movement. Just to let you know. Right? So, 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 but she said to me, at home, I can't take any more of your anger. And so I said, okay, I walked away, as I would normally do. <laughs> Didn't take too much notice. But the next morning, my God time, because I've always been good at God time, having my devotion early in the morning, and for the first time, it came back to my mind. I heard her say, even though she wasn't in the room, I can't take any more of your anger. And then I heard these words, neither can I. And that was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That wasn't an outside voice, it was an inside voice. It was almost like the Spirit of God working on this incorruptible seed in my heart saying, no, no, come on, Bruce, it's time you changed. It's time you changed. I want to help you to change. I didn't change overnight, and every now and again I can still lose that little short fuse can go off, and I can get angry, but definitely far better than I was. And it was like this incorruptible seed, this word taken by the Holy Spirit started to identify issues in my humanity that God said he wanted to address and change. The fourth, uh, third scripture is found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60. And this is really the, the, the foundation of what I want to build. So the first thing is God wants your soul to prosper. He doesn't want you to go through life where your soul, your willing, your thinking, and your feelings are just bashed around. You have no inner health. Amen? The second thing is, he, he, he doesn't leave you as an orphan. He's not asking you to do it by yourself. He, with the moment you open your heart to Christ, he places in your life a seed. You are born again of an incorruptible seed. You're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. God comes into your humanity. He's not trying to put laws and rules around you. He's actually trying to help you to understand, right, now I can change you. The second, uh, third scripture is Isaiah chapter 60. In verse 18, and this scripture was the one that really, in a way, helped me to understand how I could actually work and develop my life so the enemy could no longer have power over me. And I think that's where a lot of us are. A lot of Christians are sincere believers. They love Jesus, but they live with contradiction. I'm going to say it again because you didn't respond very good. <laughs> they live with contradiction. You know, you know really where you should be, but you're not there. Amen? So we live with contradiction. And it's frightening some of the things you hear Christians get up to. It is. It's scary. Um, but we've got to actually see, no, no, that's not the way God's ordained us to live. He's not a killjoy, but he's designed you to live in health. He's designed you to live in peace. He's designed you to live in joy. He's designed you to live in a place of victory. And this scripture here gives us a good understanding. It just says at the latter part of verse 18, but you shall call your walls salvation 
and your gates praise. You should call your walls salvation and your gates praise. I'm sure without being political, you can hear the sound. I'm going to build a wall. <laughs> and we're going to keep the Mexicans out. Amen. And they can only come. And now forget about the politics, but he said, we're going to build a wall. The wall is there to what? Protect in his terms, Mr. Trump, his terms, America. Now, I'm, I'm not being political. I just I want you to get the illustration. We will build a wall. In the wall, there will be a gate. And you can have no access. We're going to keep these people out. They can have no access unless they come with the right documents, the right papers. Then they can come into America. True. Immigration. How many have ever gone outside New Zealand? You come through immigration. First thing they do is have these dogs sniffing around you, see whether you've got bananas or whatever on you. <laughs> but, but, but they're trying to protect our economy, and then they come through. You've got to go through several processes, and that is called a gate. That gate is there to protect what comes in and what goes out. And in a way, around the country, even though we don't see it in New Zealand, there's ships out there, there's planes out there, they're protecting. They're like the wall that protects us. That's our salvation. But what Christians need to do is see that you need a wall. You need a wall to protect you. This wall is not seen, but it's called a wall of salvation because God has given you an incorruptible seed to change you but if you don't build a wall, you're always going to feel constantly under attack. You're going to feel vulnerable because there's nothing to protect the incorruptible seed and you need gates. So around Jerusalem, just to give you a little wee bit of information, I hope you don't get bored with it, but around Jerusalem, they had a wall. The wall had 12 gates. I'm not going to name every gate, but the wall was there to protect Jerusalem. One gate was called the water gate. Because the external source of water for Jerusalem came from outside the walls. They had to bring it in. It was a water gate. It was a gate that came in and it, it was able to, to, to help uh, people live because we need water. Right? So the water came out. In a way, like for your soul today, I pray I'm a water gate. There's a gate where you sometimes let something good come into you. Because you cannot have a wall that's complete gates, otherwise you're living in isolation, and God's never built you for that. That's why we need church, because when you come to church, you pray in a way there's a water gate, there's something getting into your soul that can actually touch this, this incorruptible seed that's been born again inside you that God wants to be nurtured and He wants to change. Another gate, I'm going to say it as it's written, is called the dung gate, in modern translation, I'd probably say the crap gate. If you wanted to be more illustrative, you might put an S word there. And you'd probably be right. Everyone understand? Is the preacher being real? Yes, he is. Because that's literally what it was called, the dung gate. What went out from the dung gate? All the crap. It was a way to get rid of the sewage. But the sewage could never go out the water gate. It was designated. There was a, there was a crap gate. There was a gate where all the, all, all the sewage would go out. They'd carry it out every day and take it to a designated place outside the city. And, you know, in yours and my life, 
spiritually, I think we do have some crap. <laughs> True? And the way to get rid of it, the Bible says, and often we downplay it, the way we get rid of it is called something called repentance. Now, I mentioned next month I'm 69. Do you know I think I'm repenting more the older I get? Not less. And I'm not into pornography. I'm not, I don't have an adulterous relationship. I don't tell lies. I, I seek to live my life in integrity. But I've got mindsets. I've got mindsets that aren't actually helping me. These mindsets are not helping my soul. And so sometimes I've just got to say, no, no, my, my, my belief system needs changing. I actually need to get rid of some stuff out of my life. And sometimes people have got these other things. And you think, well, I just need something to make me feel good, but it'll never make you feel good. And until you decide to get rid of those things, you're going to live your Christian life. You, you might be a sincere believer in Jesus, but you'll live your Christian life in defeat. Because those things are only there to destroy you. They never make you. And I often say to people, especially younger people, and, you know, we're in a world where pornography, all those things are just common. They're out there. Facebook. And it's not just a male problem. It's a female problem. And people are into it. And it's like an addiction. And my understanding, having walked with my own humanity, you can, never, you can never ever tame the animal of lust. It's like a wild beast. <laughs> and it wants feeding and feeding. And you think you've fed it enough, but it'll want more. Because you can never ever satisfy it. But you can deal with it. And there's something called the crap gate that you can actually get rid of it. You can build a wall of salvation, which I'll talk about in a moment, that helps you to understand that God's plan for your life is far better than that. He's ordained things that, that, that in life will satisfy, minister to you, not destroy you. And so these walls, the Bible says the walls are called, don't say with me, otherwise I'm not preaching good enough. The walls are called salvation. The gates are called praise. Why are they called praise? Because you praise God when you're ministered to. You praise God when you get rid of stuff that's not helping you. That's why they're called gates of praise. God, I thank you you've shown me these areas of my life. I want my life to work. I want my life to impact. I want my life to, to really develop. The next scripture is found in Nehemiah, and this is about building walls. The book is. The the word Nehemiah, if you want to get a little bit more theological or a bit more of understanding, the word Nehemiah means consoler or comforter. And actually it's a beautiful, Nehemiah is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit wants to build walls in our life, walls of salvation, walls to protect our humanity, walls to protect our soul. For him, it was Jerusalem. He had been uh, in captivity for 70-something years. There had been a group of people who had been left in Jerusalem. They'd never taken into captivity. And one of them came to see him, and he asked a question. He just says, tell me about Jerusalem. And the response was, yeah, Jerusalem's still there, 
But sadly, the walls are broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. And the moment, immediately, Nehemiah hears this, he becomes so burdened, so grieved. Why? Because the city he loved was vulnerable. It was vulnerable to two, three men that would, typ- would typify evil. Then those were Sambalat, Tobiah, and Gresham. And they all represent something, but I'm not there to talk about that. Because the walls were broken down, these men had the power to have attack, to constantly work against the success of Jerusalem. And I wonder, I wonder, in this room today, how many of you are sincere, Christ-believing Christians? You've been born again of an incorruptible seed, but you've never worked on building walls of salvation in your life, and you wonder why, how come Christianity is so hard? Why I'm always under attack? Why do I always feel vulnerable? How come my emotions are all around the place? How come I dive into the uh, pit of depression? How come there's no morality protecting me? How come all these things are there? And I think the Christian church, I wonder whether the Holy Spirit today might be like Nehemiah. If we would ask the question, what's the state of the church? What's the state of the Christians? Oh, yeah, they're born again. They've got got Christ in their life. But sadly, the walls are broken down and the gates have been burned with fire and they're constantly, constantly under attack. For me, when I realize this, I realize I've always been a lover of Jesus. I can't think of one moment. You might think I'm lying, but I can't think of one moment in my life where I haven't believed in God and believed in Jesus. But boy, my, my, my soul hasn't shown that all the time. But I believed. Do you hear me? I believed. And then religiously, I tried to change me from the outside in. But all I did was I'd come in happy and go out condemned. Because I knew there were things I was trying to change, but I couldn't change by myself. I was going to ask how many people feel like that. If you probably didn't put your hand up, you're a liar. <laughs> because religion can't change you. But Jesus does. He works on our humanity. And I just I don't have a lot of time. I've got 15 minutes. I'll do it quickly. Here's my walls. This is me. This is me. What have I learned? Where do I need to build walls? One, one area that I had to build a wall was in my self-worth. Who I am as a person. You go through life, people struggle with who they are. Who am I? What am I on this earth for? When you're a young teenager, you probably struggle with it more. You try and find your identity by thinking, oh, I'll just be a top rugby player. Well, that won't do, it might puff you up for a little bit. That's not who you are. I can actually use the title pastor. I could actually call myself an apostle. I could actually even call myself a bishop. Because I do all that. But those titles don't make me feel any different. When I go home and walk through the door, 
Helen says, leave all that rubbish outside. You're my husband. Take out the rubbish, please. Come on, even, even your wealth will not determine your self-worth. And can I say to you, even education doesn't. Because you can have all the education. I know people who have got doctorates of theology and they're absolute weirdos. They're wacko. I wouldn't want to follow their life. Because they understand in their mind they've got intellect here. But boy, there's no transformation in love. I look at it and say, man, man, I don't want to listen to you. Who are you? What has God put you on this face of the earth for? Do you know who you are? Are you letting the word of God change who you are? Are you letting God begin to minister, give you, give you a, a sense of identity? And that doesn't happen overnight. But the more your self-worth develops, the more confident you are in who you are. But you don't have to compete. You don't have to work against other people. You know who you are. And I believe it's powerful. For me, I look at my self-worth, dealing with my rejections, dealing with my vulnerability, coming in as a preacher. I remember I lived in this area, just north in Otaki, that's where I grew up. And when I became a Christian, there was a guy, he's a little guy called Tom Marshall. He was an outstanding teacher. And I would come along and listen to his meetings and I'd just be riveted by what he said. And he had a very quiet voice and he'd stand behind the pulpit and he hardly even moved his body. I was sitting there and I was taking notes and I was just absolutely being ministered and I thought when I became a preacher man I've got to be like Tom Marshall <laughs> that's how you do it that's how you get anointed I started off and everyone was going to sleep <laughs> but it didn't take me long to think no no that's not who I am I'm definitely not quiet <laughs> I'm loud I've never been able to stand behind a pulpit that's who I am. That's who I am. Some people have tried to change it, but no, no, you're not going to change it. That's who I am. That's my identity. This is my expression. And until you know who you are and your expression in life, you will struggle with your identity. The other area is your moral compass. Your moral compass. Who are you when no one else is looking? Good thought. <laughs> who are you when no one else is looking? What's your thought like? like? Religious people, some religious people are so bad when no one's looking, but they come out with this religious garbage to make out they're self-righteous. No, no, who are you when no one's looking? I travel, sometimes, a lot of the time by myself, sometimes with Helen's there, but I want my wife to feel secure. I don't want to think, well, what's Bruce up to? And I can tell her she can be secure because I actually have a moral compass. I actually watch what I watch, look at on TV. What you feed yourself with will actually determine a lot of your impact. The things people watch, I get, I, I get astounded by. And then they wonder why they have a lust problem. They're feeding it every day. Every time they put the TV on, it's like the sewage is just going... <laughs> true. What people read. Christians. And then they wonder why, no, no, I put, a, I put a wall up. This wall is my wall of salvation. It protects my, it protects the Christ in me. 
And some people say, oh, you're just, you're just an old, old, old nerd, you're old-fashioned. No, no, I value my seed. I value, I value this incorruptible seed. I want to be Christ-like. Come on. And it's, it's called a wall of salvation. It literally says, no, no, if something causes you to sin, just get rid of it. I think some people should actually get rid of their computers. Because it'd be far better to go to heaven without a computer than have a computer that's robbing them of their salvation. Just my thought. I, I, I think you guys got that. <laughs> the next one is, is your health. It's your health. Beginning of 2016, the Holy Spirit said, my, my latter years will be more fruitful than anything that's happened up to that point. And I was 67 years of age, and everybody else is thinking about retiring, and the Holy Spirit says, no, you've just begun. And I had to look at myself and think, well, do you know how old I am, God? He said, no, I made you. And so I went to a doctor. I had blood tests. Then went to a cardiologist, and they put me on a treadmill, looked at my heart, and then I went to a skin specialist. Why? Because God's given me a word. So I'm going to look after my health. I'm going to look after my health. And the more I do, the more chance I have of finishing what God's given me to do. You know, young men in this room and women in this room, you know, someone once said to me, the first 40 years you do what you want, the second you pay for it. And if you're older than 40, put your hand up if that's true. <laughs> Amen, you do, you pay for it. But we've got to look after ourselves because there are people in this room that God's got to distance. And to me, it's a wall. It's a wall of salvation. It's not the only thing. Some of you probably put more time into fitness than you do your moral compass. Come on, get, the, get, get it right. Because fitness is not everything, but it does help you to endure, it does help you to succeed, it does help you to win, and I believe God's into it that we win. The next one is financial prosperity. Christians, please, never ever take a vow of poverty. It's not Christian. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to prosper. The more Helen and I prosper, the greater blessing we are to other people. The greater blessing we are. And I believe God wants people to prosper. Learning the principle of tithing and generosity. Why? Because it's the doorway to your prosperity. Because unless there's generosity of heart, you're never going to go on this journey where you prosper and God is able to bless you beyond what you could ask or think. You know, you might again think this is a bit tough, but when, when, when my kids, I gave them, I, I don't know how much pocket money I gave them, but I just used a dollar. I said, come on, 10 cents of that's Jesus. Then they got a paper run. I said, oh, don't, don't forget, 10% is Jesus's. Don't forget. And do you know, I've watched all my kids that have never had a problem with giving. Because I taught them. I trained them. I train them that, that, you know, you put God first in your life and look after you. I, I, I preach this all around the world. And I preached it in Burkina Faso. 
If anyone knows Burkina Faso, it's the second poorest country of the world. And I thought, I'm robbing these people if I don't talk to them about generosity. So I did. I talked about generosity. The next morning, I, I got up and I was coming out, and here was a lady. She came with a hen in her hand. She said, I've come to give my hen to the man of God. I heard what he preached yesterday. Everything in me did not want to receive that hen because Eileen Somerville told me that that hen represents one special meal they have once a year. And everything in me said, no, 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 I can't take it. But I had to take it because I just taught about generosity. And so what I'm talking about doesn't fit into New Zealand culture, it fits into kingdom culture. And it's a generosity principle, and if you're young in here, learn to give. Learn to give at a young age. If you've never learned to give, come on, get the crap out of your life. <laughs> that was pretty blunt, wasn't it? I didn't realize I just said that, but... <laughs> come on, no, get rid of it. Why? Because it will, it will rob you. It's not about the church getting rich. No, no, I want the church to give to Wellington. Come on, I want the church to give. I want us to sow into Wellington. And we can sow into Wellington when people realize the importance of us sowing into the kingdom of God. Next one is relationships. I'm going to keep moving. Relationships are really powerful. But if you don't know how to deal in the area of relationship, that's life. You know, I've watched married couples, 90% in love. Oh, man. 10% problems. They don't see the 10%. Because 90% is, oh, man, we just got married. Wow, it's like a honeymoon every day. I mean, no, that doesn't take long that the 10% become glaringly obvious. Amen? True? But if you're not careful, the 10% can turn to the 90%. And then no longer do you see the, the good. And then relationships start to get sour, start to hurt. In church life, come in here. Wow, Jordan, man, you're the best preacher in Wellington. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> Self-worth, you know. <laughs> But then two years later, we're leaving. What does that? It's all about relationships. It's all about not getting what we thought we'd get. It's about offenses. It's about, and everybody does. Every relationship goes under pressure. Every relationship gets attacked. Every relationship will have an offense that you've got to deal with. One thing I can prophesy to you all today, thus saith the Lord, you will be offended. <laughs> Everyone does. And the, the people who offend you, that probably the easiest ones to offend you are the people you're closest to. If you're not close to someone, they're not going to really hurt you and push it off. But you've got to develop a wall where you say, no, no, if I get offended, I'm going to deal with that quickly. I know the power of God to forgive. I know how to release my judgment from people. It's called a wall of salvation. It's called a wall that protects my humanity so that I can actually live in peace. I can know the peace of Jesus Christ in my life. And I think they're all important. The next one is your career. God's called every single person. 
And just to summarize really quickly, I've got three boys. I've got a girl, she's a teacher. But then I've got three boys. There's Hamish, Sam, most people know because he's the preacher. And then there's James. Now Hamish, when he was young, had a prophecy. Several prophecies over that you will be a blessed man. And then the prophecy that I took note of is you, you, you've got a golden tongue and God will use you to speak. Now, what would you think a preacher would think if he heard that come over his son? Oh, he's going to be a preacher. That's what I saw. But he's never, 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 I don't know how many nevers I'd have to say, even considered being a preacher. In fact, if you say, oh, no, 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 man, I don't want to go there. That's for the old man, and that's for Sam. That's not for me. But boy, he's good with his tongue. And now he's, a, he's achieving architecturally, which is his call, and he's asked to present. And God will use him. Because you don't have to be Jordan Smith and the pastor of a church to be called of God. You've got to know what God's called you to do. Jordan knows. We know a guy in the London church. He's six foot six. He's a policeman. And you went up to him and he says, as a boy, I knew I was called to be a cop. I've never doubted it. He served in many high places because he's confident that God has called him. Ultimately, when you stand before Jesus, you'll have to give an account for what, how you've stewarded the gifts God's given you. Are they extending the kingdom of God or are they just lining your pocket? No problem lining your pocket. But it's more about using your gifts to extend the kingdom of God. And these are all walls. And then finally, there's one I call community. For me, church is community. It's community. I need church. I travel a lot. But boy, when I go home, I go to church. Why? Because I need it. I need, I, I, I sit sort of over this side here and in the Auckland church, all the young people come up here and I need that. I don't need the smells they give. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think they need some help in washing clothes. But then there's other smells that come too, which... <laughs> but then I sit there and I see my grandkids come up the front and I see them starting to lift their hands and worship. I see them starting to, to minister into the house of God. I need that. That's community. I need that. I need community. I never wake up on Sunday morning and think, oh, do I go to church today? Nah, I'm too tired. No, no, it's my life my life. I, I'm in community. I'm in connection. I need community. Community. The church to me, can I say to you, I, I've got it deliberately here, is like the water gate that feeds my soul. It nurtures me. It helps me to grow. It helps me to develop. It helps me sometimes to give expression to the gifts I've got on my life. I need it. I need you. I need Jordan the Chatterbox. I do. I need... Ian Wright in Invercargill, who's part of our team, I need him. I need different expressions in my life because you can never build your life without other expressions. 
But the moment you try and build your life without other expressions, you isolate yourself and actually you destroy a wall that ultimately exposes you. And I don't have time to speak into these fully, but I want you to understand. Bruce Monk needs a wall. The wall is called salvation. For most, everybody who looks at me, they can't see it. But through my devotion, through the word of God, I start to build something. I put it around me. Coming to church, I hear sermons, messages. I put it around me. I, I, I begin to develop my moral compass in life. I begin to develop a sense, wow, God, you want me to prosper. You want me to do well. You want me to be generous. You want me to give. I learn language that I wouldn't hear in other places. You're developing something inside me. My relational health. Man, some days I can get emails and I think, wow, just as well that person's not standing in front of me. For, of course, for a moment, I've just got a little short fuse and it's just gone off. And I feel like punching their lights out. Good pastoral care. I do. Then I back back. And I think, no, no. I build a wall of salvation. This wall of salvation helps me to forgive helps me to release people of my judgment. It helps me to start a new day. And I believe that God is wanting Christians to come to a place of maturity, to come to a place where they understand that Christianity, I believe, is more than just a, a religion. It's about an authentic king the creator of the universe coming to dwell in our humanity. That is why it is so different to any other religion. Because every other religion tries to change people from the outside in. But only the gospel of Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, has chosen to change you and I from the inside out. And that's why it's so different. And I love to say to people, I'm just going to close because I need to. I'm over time. But I love to say to people, I am blessed. I am blessed. Young people look at me. I'm not perfect. But I want to tell you, Jesus works. Jesus works. It's not just a, a thought. It's actually real. Stand with me. Just going to pray a short prayer, hand over to Jordan because I've got to move him. Sorry, I do. Just if you feel feel to, just lift your hands in this moment. Father, today I pray this incorruptible seed of your word would rise in people's hearts, and people will become aware, Father, of what's inside them, and because of what you've placed in people, they would today realize that they've got to build those walls of salvation gates of praise to allow this incorruptible seed of your word to become everything that God designed it to be. In Jesus' name, amen.